Well, open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want us to think about verses 16 through 18 while we consider an eternal weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory. Uh, the last hymn that we sang particularly set that forth. You've, I'm sure heard the story of Horatio Spafford that wrote that hymn that he uh, was in New York. His wife and three daughters were going to, to London. The ship sank. He gets a cable from his wife that the daughters had died in, in it. And he and she alone had survived. And as he went to England to meet up with his wife, as the story goes, somewhere around the place where the ship went down, he penned this hymn. And so when you think about it as well with my soul, there are some deep, deep words. And some of it arises out of the truths that the Apostle, the Apostle Paul teaches us in Second Corinthians. You, you may know that Second Corinthians is perhaps the most personable of the epistles. Paul just kind of pulls back the curtain, tells us things that, are, that were going on in his life and areas of suffering and struggle and trials that he walked through. And he helps us to understand how do we walk through trials? How do we face adversities? How do we deal with loss? Well, consider God's word, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is God's word, and may you write that word on our hearts. With the moment that we're born, we start that slow process toward death. I know that sounds morbid. I'm not trying to be overly morbid, but it's just reality. We grow, we develop, we explore, we experience, we taste and we hear and we see and we touch and we feel and we smell and we walk and we talk. And then things start to spiral down. Maybe not fast, maybe a slowing of our pace, a fading of our sight, a loss of our hearing, our mind being affected. Little by little, we feel the decaying of this life toward death. And that's normal. We all face it. And despite the frenetic efforts to maintain our lives and to stretch our days beyond others, we still face death. And so are we to be morose about it? Do we crawl into a little shell and mourn inconsolably? Do we grovel about as though we have nothing left in this life and so we must just kind of grin and bear it? Not if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not if... We have been born of God, and that saving work of Jesus Christ has been planted in us. I mean, the very worst of life is what we're experiencing before death if we are in Christ. Now, on the other hand, if you are not in Christ, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, then the best you're ever going to experience is now. And you have reason to be morose you have reason to be inconsolably mournful. But there's great hope because of the mercy that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
our Savior who died and rose from the dead. And so I encourage you, think about him. Think about moving from that, that reality of, uh, of moroseness and, uh, and deep mourning over having nothing ahead and see that everything is ahead in the Lord Jesus. So the Bible makes clear that we here in Christ must live demonstrably different from the world. And we have good reason to when our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, in this, in this particular text, is, uh, is giving a description of what has been going on in his life. If you look in, in verse 7, he, he says, This treasure, I'm reading from the New American Standard, This treasure we have in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And then he gives this description, one of three descriptions. You see it here in chapter 4. You see it later in, in chapter uh, 6 and then later in chapter 11. He says, for we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. But we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So think about how he describes his life. We're earthen vessels. That, that means something like a clay jar. It's fragile. It can be broken easily, afflicted, persecuted, uh, perplexed, struck down, carrying the, the marks of Jesus' death, delivered over to death. Death works in us. Doesn't sound like an enjoyable life, does it? Sounds kind of miserable. Oh, me. Even depressing. But not so. Our hope in Jesus Christ always gives reason for persevering with confidence and joy. And yet, how can we develop that kind of mindset that we see the Apostle Paul portraying for us here? Well, I want us to consider four practices that we need to grow in to persevere with confidence in Christ until death. And this is what we see in this text. First of all, learn to live in the therefores. Learn to live in the therefores. I, I think I first heard that kind of phrase from John Piper and later from Sinclair Ferguson. And it's something along the line that as we read the scripture, we need to pay close attention to the so's and the therefores and the becauses of the Bible because those are pointing us to being daily renewed in Jesus Christ. So Paul's therefore in verse 16 uh, is grabbing our attention to the argument that he's been building all along in the previous chapters. Therefore, he says, therefore, pointing back to what he's already written, we do not lose heart. What he's teaching us is the way we think about the distressing challenges of every day and those trials and those adversities and those things in which we feel like life is just broken before us he's saying those days are to be shaped by how we understand the glory of God in Jesus Christ so by learning to live in the therefores I'm calling attention to those multiplied passages where the the biblical writers are are 
bringing us to apply the scripture. They move us from merely reading the biblical text to seeing what it says and then praying that through into our lives and applying it. Paul told the the Ephesian believers, this Gentile congregation, that you are fellow partakers of the promise that is in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the kind of language he's using. What has Jesus secured in the gospel? If you want to know, pick up this book and read, and you'll see over and over what he has secured for us through his bloody death on the cross, through his resurrection, through his reign. And so these promises that are in the gospel are given to assure us and to help us. Uh, but too often, what do we do? Well, we, uh, we read the Bible, so we check off our daily Bible reading, kind of read it quickly, and we please ourselves that maybe we've done another good deed for the day without paying attention to the wherefores and the becauses and the therefores and the so-thats and the fors that are, are imploring us to bring it home. It's not just food sitting on the counter that you go, boy, look at that stuff. It's eating it. It's partaking of it. It's not just clothes in the closet. It's clothes you're putting on. It is clothing yourself in Christ. Now, consider what he is thereforeing about. Look back in chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. He's contrasting the new covenant as being much more full of glory than the old covenant. One was written in stone. The other, with the Holy Spirit, is written on tablets of the heart. One condemns and kills. The other gives life. One had a fading glory shown by Moses who had that veil covering his face. The other is unbounded glory that surpasses all that is given before. One fades, the other remains. So, verse 10, he says, For indeed, what had glory, that is that old covenant under Moses, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So he's using this word glory, and we'll talk about that term in a few more minutes, but he's helping us to see this manifestation of the very life of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 12 to 18, Paul's explaining that we're not like Moses with veiled faces, Covering ourselves, you remember uh, Moses covered his face, but the glory that he'd experienced when he was in the presence of God was fading. And so Paul is saying that glory doesn't fade for those who are united to Jesus Christ because our glory is not external, but it is internal by the Spirit where we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit. And so we behold him without veiled faces so that such a a view transforms us in anticipation of being shaped by Christ's glory. So look at verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. He says, this is what's happening to us because we're in Christ. And then in verses 1 through 6, of chapter 4. He talks about the ministry that we've received that is grounded in what God has done through Jesus Christ. So that 
he shines the light of the gospel into the darkness of the heart that we might know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we see that so beautifully in verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. So you've you got that picture of the creation story. He says, oh, there's a new creation story though. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then in verses 13 to 15, he, he talks about how we have this future resurrection in Jesus Christ, that we are living with the promise and the anticipation of future resurrection, resurrected bodies. No more pain, no more suffering, no more loss, no more tears, no more sorrows. And so in verse 14, he, he writes, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with him. All that's bound up in the gospel. Uh, and so we, we see in, in, in these passages that when Paul talks about the therefore, he's talking about the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the indwelling spirit. He's talking about the internal work of the spirit. He's talking about transformation from one degree of glory to another. He's talking about the light of the gospel shining into the darkness of our, of our hearts by God's sovereign power at work in us. And he's talking about the promise of future resurrection. Therefore, indeed, he is pointing us to what God has done in Christ. Now let me ask you, do you know this Christ? Have you been united to him by faith? Have you seen your sin and realize that he alone is the savior of sinners and you've cast yourself upon him by faith and in repentance and you've trusted him, then if that's the case, learn to live in the therefores of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. Second, contemplate living in simultaneous realities. Contemplate living in simultaneous realities. Now, I'm not trying to give you some kind of philosophical position that follows an ideology uh, but is blind to reality. Nor uh, am I calling for us to have some idea of the power of positive thinking. Just just don't claim it. I, I remember years ago uh, a lady telling me that her dad was caught up in a, in a movement that, you know, if you got sick, you say, oh, don't claim it, don't claim it, don't claim it. Are you still sick? Your nose is running. You're coughing. You're hacking. Don't claim it. I mean, that's, that's craziness. That's pure craziness. He's not talking about something like this. But notice what he says. Paul talks about two realities that are in existence, very different from each other, but they're going on in your life right now. He said, though our outer man is decaying, that's the first reality, our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's the other reality. And both of these are true. Because if we're following Jesus Christ, then both of those are true. If you're not following Christ, then your outer man is decaying and you are being prepared for eternal destruction. But it's far, far different for those who are in Christ. We experience 
the decaying of the present life and the renewal of our inner life. Now, why do we have trouble seeing that? Because if our health is good and everything's going well and we're eating enough and sleeping enough and getting exercise and everything just lovely and we got friends and we got money in our pocket and all that, we don't think about this, do we? But all it takes is for an accident to happen or maybe you have a stroke or maybe you get a cancer diagnosis or maybe you have some autoimmune disease that just suddenly pops up out of nowhere. And then suddenly you realize I'm decaying. I'm I'm not going to live forever in this body. There's going to be a terminal point that, that I face and that kind of reality is important for us to see. Not and, and, and Paul is reminding us we live in both of those realities. It's okay to think about it. It's okay to think about the fact that your body is slowly ebbing away. It's okay to think about that because that helps you to understand what Christ is doing is preparing you for eternity with him. So, in, in light of the fact that we experience both of these realities as Christians, we don't act as though we're not facing difficulties or we're not facing pains. I mean, you look what Paul did in verses 7 through, through 10 that I read a moment ago. He's leaning into his hardships because as he leans into them, they become the means of him realizing that his outer man is decaying in order that he might focus on that inner man and continue growing in the grace and knowledge that is in Jesus. Now, we we don't only uh, we don't only live in these bodies that are decaying, but we're also not to let the, that be the thing that controls our thinking. What I mean by that is it's natural for us to go through difficulties. I mean, I, I, I think of all kinds of things that I've seen, things that, that my wife and I have gone through, things we've seen in our family, things we've seen in, in the churches where we serve, we've seen with our friends, and th- there are all kinds of hardships that happen. But do those things define us? Is that what controls us? If those things define us and control us, then that's what affects our thinking, and that affects our spiritual life. It affects our joy. It means that our hope has shifted onto some some kind of unrealistic idea that we're never going to face any difficulties. Instead of realizing, no, we are going to face difficulties. That's part of living in this fallen world. But we're not to be governed by those things. I mean, think about it. What causes most despondency is when we focus on the outer man decaying or some decline, some loss, some pain, some setback, some brokenness in life, and our minds get riveted on those kinds of situations. But that's the way of the natural man, the unbeliever. That's not the way of the person who is in Christ. We are to be living in that sense of hope that is in Christ. And if we don't live with hope, then we're not going to be living with joy. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to not be bound by the despairing effects of the outer man decaying. 
but rather to be living in that beauty of what lies ahead. And so we face the reality. Paul says in in verse 16, our outer man is decaying. It's the consequence of the fall. It's not that you personally are being punished, and so something bad happens, God's getting me. No, no, that's, that's very bad theology. It's the fact that you are living in a fallen world as a fallen person, and you're going to be decaying. And God in his wisdom is working in your life. We're mortal, we're declining, we're decaying in a systematic fashion. That's the, the, the way the language expresses it. And then he says, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. This is a gospel promise. This is something to hold on to, especially those times where you feel like everything is falling apart. You go back and go, no, here's my promise in Jesus. The inner man is being renewed day by day. And and this is that New Testament emphasis on sanctification, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, growing in holiness, growing in Christ-likeness, Christ being formed in you. That's what's happening. And so this inner man is not to be thought of as something removed from the outer man. And this is part of the fascinating explanation that Paul is giving. Instead, he's talking in both the the outer man that's decaying, the inner man that is being renewed, he said that describes you as a whole person. One has that capacity to decay. The other, you're living in the same reality, is part of the whole person that you are. One writer pointed out that the inner man is not a future acquisition. The inner man is who you are in Christ right now. It's expressing the whole person that awaits the resurrection on the last day. And so this inner man is being renewed day by day. The, the verb construction implies that it is the Lord that is doing this re- renewing. It's the one who began a good work in you that continues it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, how's that happening? Certainly through the, the means of grace that he gives us. We're, we're experiencing some of those means of grace today. We're gathering for worship. We're hearing the word. We're praying together. We've hopefully read the word before we gathered with this body. We're applying the word. We gather around the Lord's table. All of those are means of grace. But he also gives us some, maybe we could say some odd graces that become means that he uses to renew us as we suffer, as we face difficulties, as we go through loss All of those things become instruments in the sovereign hand of the Lord to renew us. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's exhorting us, don't waste your hardships. Don't waste your trials. Don't waste your brokenness. See them as instruments the Lord is using to set your face and your priorities on the things that last. Now, the world's not like that. The world complains. Anything bad happens. Complaint, complaint, complaint. But what are we to do? We're to see that if we are in Jesus Christ, then there is no circumstance, there is no difficulty, there is no brokenness that is wasted. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe this sovereign Lord is that good? We were singing about his love, weren't we? Do you believe that? Those, those difficulties do not mean that 
God has gone on a lunch break and gotten away from us. Those difficulties mean that he is showing us an unusual degree of love so that he might form his son in us. The more we see that, brothers and sisters, the more we see that no experience is random, that no suffering or loss is without some good purpose with which maybe one day we'll understand, maybe not until we get on the other side. Because the sovereign Lord who saves keeps working through every detail to bring us into the fullness of his life in eternity. And so the effects of aging, decaying, may alter the body, but not the inner man. Because the inner man's continuing to be renewed daily. And both of those things are happening simultaneously. While I am falling apart, I'm being renewed. I mean, there's encouragement there. Now, if you're not in Christ, that's not the case. You're just falling apart. But if you're in Christ, he is renewing you. And so what we have to do is to discipline our minds to not focus on the one to the neglect of the other. I mean, we think on both. We face a reality. Uh, you know, you, you get a little older and you start realizing these bodies are, are starting to play out on this. And, and you feel all these things going on. It's not that you, you refuse to accept that. No, it's there. But it doesn't control your joy. This is where we learn to discipline ourselves in Christ. Um, this is a declaration that death has been overcome. A few verses later, and previously in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, in, here in chapter 5, verse 4, Paul says, the mortal is going to put on immortality. No more decaying. That's over. And so the renewal points to this ongoing impact of living in Christ and his promises in the gospel. I mean, that, that's why Paul, with the Ephesian uh, Gentile believers, said, you are fellow partakers of the promise that is in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You're getting to partake of that. He was thrilled, and certainly they were. They who had been without hope and without God in the world were now partaking in the renewing promise through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this renewal is preparatory to the full experience of the unveiled glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, none of us are just quite ready to see him face to face, but he's getting us ready. And so those experiences of life are peeling away those uh, things in our life that are hindering us from seeing him in all of his beauty and glory and his majesty. And that day will come when the preparation is over. He says, come on. And he takes us into his presence. All right, the third thing we do, according to this text, is lean toward the heavy. Lean toward the heavy. I mean, what happens if you've got one of those balancing scales and, and you put a butter bean on one and you put a lead block on the other? I mean, there, there's, there's no comparison, is there? That lead block is going to win every single time. Well, the reality that, uh, of that butter bean is the decaying of our life. That's the lightweight. 
But what God is doing in the inner man is that lead block that's, that is going to keep lasting. So notice what he says in verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, if we looked over in chapter 11, we'll see Paul talking about being um, whipped with 39 lashes, a cat of nine tails, five times. He was a scarred mess, beaten with rods three times, shipwrecked, a night and a day left in the deep, faced dangers along the way, threats along the way, persecution along the way. And look what he calls it, momentary light affliction. Brothers and sisters, do you see what this man who really had a vision of Christ and really had an understanding of what it means to live in the promises of the gospel, do you see what he's teaching us? That those sufferings, as hard as they are, and I'm, I'm not in any way diminishing them. They're very real. We go through loss and heartache and brokenness and we weep and we should. But they're momentary light afflictions that cannot be compared with the eternal weight of glory. Uh, the, the Hebrew word kabod for, for glory literally means heavy. And so I use that illustration intentionally because when he talks about this eternal weight of glory, he's speaking of the heaviness of God, the weightiness of who our God is and what he is doing. He is one that cannot be handled and held and controlled by humanity. It is God in all of his awesomeness, God in all of his fullness, God in his majesty. I mean, you think there was a majesty yesterday in London? No, 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 no. That's not majesty. It's trivial. I'm not belittling it, but it's trivial. Our God is heavy in all the outworking of his might and power. So this glory, I like to think of it like this. This glory is the outshining of the radiance of who he is. So when we talk about this eternal weight of glory, it is the outshining radiance of who God himself is. That this eternal weight of glory is is helping us understand and get our minds around something of the weightiness and the beauty and the wonder of our God. And the afflictions that we face those things that affect us, those things that are hard to deal with, Paul is saying they're momentary and they're light. I mean, what is a day compared to a week? What is a week compared to a year? What is a year compared to a thousand years? What is a thousand years compared to a million years? You, you see where he's going? He's helping us to understand what we're living in now is temporal. And one day, we will enter into the eternal. So what, what Paul is pointing to is that we learn to lean toward the heavy and not the light. We lean toward the glory of God. We let that define us rather than letting our afflictions that are temporal define us. And so by that, the, the vision 
of the life that is in Christ, the heavy, transforms the way that we handle the temporal, the light. And so the, the, the temporal is momentary compared with the eternal. It is light afflictions, he says, compared to the heaviness of glory. I mean, think about a, uh, a little child that has a cookie and, and she drops her cookie down in the dirt and she cries. Uh, with, I mean, she just can't stop crying. She just goes on and on. And her mom has one of those big old Costco bags of cookies that weighs about 20 pounds. But the kid's crying because she dropped a cookie and there's so, so much more. It's momentary. It's light. I, I, I remember when I was a teenager, my... Um, you know, I was used to going out with my buddies, and, and it, it was a good group of guys. We would we'd go witnessing at the local Dairy Queen. I mean, we we, we were we were wild men, young men, and, and um, I remember one night my parents wouldn't let me go out, and I remember being so absolutely miserable. Think I can't believe that. Well, since that time, I've been out with friends, hundreds, probably thousands of times, far far better than what that evening would have been. You know, we, we get caught up in something one moment, and we think that one moment defines all of life. Not if you're in Christ. Momentary light affliction can't even be compared with the eternal weight of glory. And notice what he says. This momentary light affliction is producing for us. Now, the, the, the language here is describing the fact that the afflictions become tools or instruments of God to produce an eternal weight of glory for us. Uh, it is a prolonged process, one that does not end until we stand before the throne of God. And this is one of the great mysteries of God that is so contrary to the natural way of thinking and living, that God is working in us and he's using the hardest, most difficult things in the world to produce in us an eternal weight of glory. I, I, years ago, I read about uh, a running back who was at the University of South Carolina, Marcus Lattimore. Uh, some of you may remember him. And he, he was this unbelievable running back, a franchise kind of player, and, and was, you know, he, he, was, he was just normal, have 100, 150, 200-yard games. It, it was just normal for him. Then... He had a horrible uh, knee twist, break, something, you know, something went wrong. It was an accident that he could never re recover from. And he, he said afterwards, I'm thankful for those injuries, for they really saved me. And this is the way an ESPN reporter in the article put it. Lattimore went from being a Facebook Christian to getting saved a week after the injury. And then Latimer went on and said that he went from bemoaning his injuries to thanking God for them. What he learned was to weigh the momentary in light of the eternal. That lead weight brings a butterbean up every single time. And so this work of God in sanctification that is inherent in the momentary line of afflictions, is producing something far, far better than if we had skipped those light afflictions. It's an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, or we could translate it, producing 
for us an eternal weight of glory, surpassing quality unto surpassing quality. I was reminded uh, this week of the story of Helen Rosevere, who was a, uh, a missionary from the UK. She was a medical doctor, and she went to the Congo. And while she was there, she went. There, there was war going on, fighting, as is so common. And she was captured, beaten, raped, uh, left, basically left for dead. And she went through this deep, deep darkness. And this is where she had to wrestle. Would that define her? Would that capture her? And she began to ponder afresh Christ's suffering for her and the promises that are in the gospel. And that what was happening to her, though very real and very hard, very troubling, deep, deep wounds that she would carry to her grave, and yet those were light afflictions compared with that eternal weight of glory. And that brought her out of the darkness, and she had a remarkable ministry. You see, what we're seeing in this passage is that we learn uh, to focus our attention on that which is far better, even beyond what we can fathom. So we lean toward the heavy, not toward the light. The fourth thing that we see, the last thing in this text, is scope out what you cannot see. Scope out what you cannot see. Now, we, we use that word scope or scope out to, to indicate that we're taking this really good look at something. We're checking it out. Uh, maybe we're on a reconnaissance mission. Uh, maybe you husband has been sent by your wife about a sale at a store. I want you to go scope it out, see what's there. Or if you're in the military, you're, you're scoping out a situation. You're trying to check out the information. Well, we, we get our English word scope from this particular Greek word, scopeo, that's used in this text. And so he says, while we look, not, while we're not scoping out the things that are seen, but instead what are we doing? But we look at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, temporary, not lasting. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I mean, I, I think this begs the question, do we spend much time scoping out the unseen? We, we can be so caught up in the, in the things around us. And, you know, we live in a beautiful world. We have all kinds of great experiences. We, we kind of can see the world in our hand, on our phone. And, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on. But we can be so distracted from what Christ has secured in his bloody death and resurrection for all eternity. I, I talked with my friend Matt McCullough, who's the pastor of Nashville, um, several years ago when he was on sabbatical at Tyndale House in, uh, at Cambridge in the UK. And he was working on a, on a manuscript that eventually became a, an extraordinary book called Remember Death. Now, it sounds like a morose title, but it is an incredible book. I encourage you to get it and read it, Remember Death. But what he was trying to do is to resurrect a Puritan view of death. Uh, Matt, the church Matt uh, pastors in Nashville at the time just had a bunch of 20-year-old and 30-year-olds. And he said, nobody thinks about death. He said, we haven't seen any death around here. And he said, I'm concerned that, that the flock that I'm shepherding 
is, is getting skewed in the way they're thinking. Because he, and so he wanted to resurrect his Puritan view of death because of what the Puritans did, they regularly encouraged their people to so live in the promises that are in the gospel. And part of the way of doing that is thinking about the realities of death. And, and what the Puritans did, they scoped out what lay ahead. They had their eyes on that. They pondered it. They meditated it uh, upon it. So that as they were going through suffering, they had that ballast in their soul that kept them afloat in the middle of it because they had been scoping out what lay ahead. Well, that's something what Paul is doing in this passage. As we scope out the things that are not seen, we're going beyond death. We're facing death squarely. We're seeing death really as merely a door that's opened to the vastness of all that Jesus has secured and promised for us. We realize death will come, and it comes in its loss and its pain. Some of you have lost parents or, or friends or spouses or children uh, and, and brothers and sisters. You've gone through that. You've felt that agony, and it's horrible. And we're to, we're to see that, but we're also to see that if you are in Christ, that is a door through which we're walking. It is a door into all the richness of what Jesus has provided for us forever and ever. And, and so what Paul's helping us understand is death is not the end. Yes, death, pain, suffering, all those things are here, but that's not the end. That's not the finality. There is this unseen realm, these unseen realities with which we've got to spend some time scoping out so that we learn to live courageously and perseveringly in the present. Look for a moment in Colossians 3, because I want you to see how Paul does this as he writes to, to the church at Colossae and helps us understand, okay, you're saying I'm... I'm to be scoping out the things that are unseen. What does that mean? This is how Paul puts it in the first four verses. Therefore, another one of those therefores, and if you follow back, he talks about the redemptive work of Christ, what Christ has secured for us. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, so you've been affected by the death and resurrection of Christ, he's raised you from spiritual death into spiritual life, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You see that trajectory he's trying to get us on? That we've got to think upon Seeing Jesus in all of his beauty and glory, we've got to think upon these wonderful promises that belong to us as Christians so that we're able to manage with grace and with hope and with joy the suffering of this present life. You see, the Christian has a different set of eyes. We have the capacity to see by means of the hope that is in Jesus Christ into what is yet ahead and we're not bound by what is seen. We, uh, we cultivate this as we grow 
in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We cultivate this as we worship together. We cultivate this as we read the word. We cultivate this as we learn how to trust the Lord in those hard times. And it's in this reality that the unseen is more real because it is more lasting. It is eternal. But we can only see it if that is visualized by our hope in Christ. Uh, several years ago, Kira and I went to the hospital to see one of our um, older ladies that was getting ready to have a very dangerous heart surgery the next day. And uh, you would have thought she was getting ready to go to a, a big party. I mean, she was just joyous. Just one of those kind of moments where we left the room encouraged. I mean, she's getting ready to have heart surgery, and we left the room encouraged. But I remember we talked about Jesus dying for us. We talked about the resurrection, and we talked about Christ reigning, and we talked about heaven, and we talked about what the Lord has done. And she said, you know, if this surgery doesn't work out, that's okay with me. I'm fine with it. Because she had been scoping out what lay ahead. The next morning, what she had been scoping out for a long time, she saw with her own eyes. She went on to glory, and she saw the face of Christ. She prepared. And she had gone through a lot of suffering. She had a husband that had was debilitated and didn't get out literally for 40 years. She took care of everything. She suffered physically. I watched her in pain coming to the gathering of the body of Christ. I watched her serve and minister and encourage young people to go on the mission field. I watched her do all those things, but all the while she scoped out what lay ahead. Well, that's what Paul is doing in this passage. If you, we read on the next few verses, he describes uh, he describes us living in a tent. Do you want to spend all your time in a tent? I mean, we, we get some rough weather down south, don't we? Every once in a while, those winds come blowing and those heavy rains come and the tent gets soaked and the tent blows over. He said, that's what our life is like now. But we have a building not made with hands, eternal in the heaven prepared for us. That's what Paul is talking about, learning to live in that, learning to to set our minds, to set our eyes on all that God has given to us in Christ. See, the reality is life is, uh, is equally unfair. Really is. I mean, we are fallen people living in a fallen world and that means we're going to experience hardships along the way. I was talking to some pastors this week, and they, some of them were young in ministry, and, and I said, you just need to realize you're going to face some hardships. There are going to be some really difficult days uh, ahead. It's just a reality. It's not because they're bad guys. It's just a reality of living in, in this world. Everything we're living in is temporal. And so what we're to do, we're to scope out the eternal in the promises of the gospel that has been secured by Jesus in his death and resurrection. And then with Paul, we don't lose heart. Union with Jesus Christ assures us that no suffering, no decaying in the present has the final word. 
Jesus does. And so we live in him. We learn to live in the therefores. We contemplate living these simultaneous realities. We lean toward the heavy. We scope out what we cannot see with these physical eyes. And that happens when you are in Christ. Live in him. Let's pray together. If you're not in Christ, then I encourage you as we've considered him to think about your need to turn to him. Think about this Savior who has done so much for those he has saved. Be one of them as you turn to Christ, as you repent of your sins, as you believe upon the Lord Jesus. I know that the pastors, elders in this church, and many others would be happy to talk with you about what it is to know and follow Jesus. Father, will you give grace that we who know you learn to live more and more in that reality of what it is to be united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Please give encouragement to saints in this room that are going through suffering, and maybe others know of it, maybe others don't know what they're going through. Give them grace to set their mind and affection not on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Give them grace to realize the temporal nature of those sufferings. Let them lean into the heavy of the glory that will be revealed. We pray for those who are unbelieving, that you in your wonderful mercy might bring them to life and bring them to repentance and faith in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.